This is episode number 44 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. And today, Jess and I are very excited to have on the podcast, Alexia Leachman, who some of you may already know from her award-nominated podcast, Fear-Free Childbirth. Alexia is a therapeutic coach and author and overcame her extreme fears to having two fear-free home births. And she now helps women to overcome their fears so they can... so they can approach their birth with confidence. Alexia has helped thousands of women worldwide to shed the fear and claim their positive birth experience through her private sessions, her online programs, products, and of course, her podcast. She is the author of Fearless Birthing and her new book, Clear My Head Trash, which which will be out soon. Alexia appears regularly in the press, TV, radio, and online, including BBC, Sky, and ABC and has been featured in the Huffington Post, Mail Online, Psychologies, Red, Easy Living, and Mother and Baby magazines. So thank you so much, Alexia, for being on. I'm so excited to be here, Henny. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. And so can you share a bit more about your experiences with tachophobia and maybe starting explaining to our audience what that actually is um, and how you got into this line of work? Mm. Well, tachophobia is the extreme fear of birth and pregnancy, and it's where some women ex- experience such strong fear that they might avoid pregnancy and childbirth altogether so they don't actually become mothers at all um so i found out that i i know i never really found out i had tocophobia until way after the event but i basically found out that when i was pregnant i had an overwhelming sense of fear and dread and it was awful that first month of pregnancy was just awful for me and it was only when i miscarried at about seven or eight weeks that i when I noticed that I felt an, a sense of relief, yes, I felt lost, but I felt relief. And I knew at that moment that something wasn't quite right, because how could a woman feel relief at a miscarriage? What was going on there? And so that kind of sent me on a bit of my own journey to try and uncover the, the reasons that could exist that meant that, that that happened to me. And so for the year that followed, I really was exploring a lot about myself and trying to understand why I was such a mess basically and I did a lot of inner work figuring out like getting rid of my own levels of anxiety and stress and kind of just sort my own head out so that when I was pregnant a year later I didn't feel that overwhelming dread that I had the first time around but I was still absolutely terrified of the idea of birth so much so that I was like it's going to be a c-section it's going to be a c-section because I need all the drugs it's going to be painful I need all the drugs so that was basically my 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 position going into pregnancy when when I was in my first trimester basically so um, that was quite like I was it was only also when I was sharing this quite openly with people on a course I was on about how terrified I was that somebody said to me, hey, you know, 
birth doesn't have to hurt it can actually be enjoyable you know why don't you check out hypnobirthing and at that moment it was I was like you know what I didn't know that birth didn't have to be the most painful experience a woman could ever experience and I didn't realize that it could actually be enjoyable so this was like headlines to me which is incredible really I was 36 university educated and I didn't know this stuff I was like how do I not know this so that was the beginning of me kind of turning my situation around and getting my head around fear, fear in birth, how it's related to pain and all that stuff that really was the beginning of my own journey that has led to what I'm doing today. That's so cool. I resonate so much with what you are saying because the fears about birth was it really was such a big factor that held us back in, held me back from wanting to have a second baby. It felt like, and when I got unexpectedly pregnant with second baby, it just felt like then I needed to choose a route of trauma to get this baby out of my body. There was so much stuff that was coming up for me. I'm interested, what does fear-free childbirth mean to you? So fear-free childbirth doesn't mean the person who is in denial of all things birth, that's basically not even considering it. For me, it's about having the fears, facing them and overcoming them so that you are fear-free from a place of strength and confidence and from knowing that if another fear pops up, that you can bat it away just as you did your last fears. Because we, are, we live in a fearful world. Fear is a very important emotion. I'm not for one minute suggesting that we banish fear from our lives because we wouldn't want to banish any kind of emotion from our life because all of the emotions are guiding us in our day-to-day -day experiences and they're, they're helping us to survive and fear is a very important one. So for me, fear is about understanding your fears and doing something about them, whether it is educating yourself because you don't like C-sections and you're fearful of them, but once you understand the C-section, when you understand what it can do for you, you no longer fear it. Once you understand pain, once you understand how the body works when it comes to birth, you no longer fear pain. So that it, you know, that knowledge brings power that can help fears to melt away. So for me, fear-free childbirth is about acknowledging your fears, facing up to them and moving through them and then overcoming them. That's beautiful. What are the benefits of clearing our fears before birth? Clearing your fears before birth is absolutely essential because fear does three very nasty things to your birth experience. Well, they're very nasty in my opinion. They were very compelling for me in terms of why I wanted to deal with my fears. And, and fear has this effect on birth. It, they, it can lengthen your labor. So I'm, I'm, like, I'm all for getting labor out as quickly as possible. Let's not let this thing drag on for days. I'd much rather have it be over in hours rather than days. So fear can extend labor unnecessarily. It can also increase the likelihood of you experiencing pain and or any pain that you do experience will be stronger. So again, this is, a, this is like a real compelling reason to try and clear your fear because who wants, you know, we've all heard about painful births and how it's the most painful experience. So if we can do anything to reduce that experience to lessen the pain, if not eliminate it altogether, then I'm there with bells on, show me where to sign. So that's another reason why getting rid of your fear is brilliant. And then the third one is that a fear, a fearful birth is more likely to end in a medical intervention. So that might be instrumental delivery, c-section drugs any kind of intervention whatsoever so again for the women that want a natural birth then you know really you you want to avoid you want to avoid medical intervention at all costs if you don't want your c-section because you absolutely want vaginal birth then again working on fears is going to really help you so when you put those three things together they are pretty compelling reasons why you'd want to clear your fears before the birth 
And so you mentioned um, just now about fear and pain. Can you explain a bit Mm. more about the fear, tension, pain cycle and how those three kind of relate to each other with labor? Yeah, so that's something that people will come across a lot as part of their birth prep classes, their antenatal classes. And so there's a guy um, called uh, Grant Dickley Reed or Dick Grintley Grant or whatever, one of those (laughs) that way around, who came up with this idea, uh, the theory of the fear, tension, pain cycle. And that is that when you're fearful, you're more likely to experience tension. And that tension is going to be physical in your muscles. And as your muscles start contracting, start changing as a result of the fear that you're experiencing, the the physiology changes, which starts making the experience a lot more painful. And so then the minute you start getting those little pangs of pain kicking in, the well, maybe, and again, pain, I use the pain, the word pain in inverted commas, because that's a sensation and it's how we choose to interpret that. But once those sensations start kicking in, then the mind jumps on board and goes, oh my goodness, something's going wrong. Ah. And so it kind of cycles back into fear. So the, so the minute you jump onto that cycle, it could easily spiral out of control into a very painful place. And so, you know, it's about learning when you're doing your birth prep. It's about finding ways of if you jump onto that cycle, how can you get off that cycle as quickly as you can so that it doesn't spiral? So that if you are noticing a little bit of fear creep in, that it doesn't get to the tension bit. Or if you're noticing the tension that you don't get to the pain or if the pain does start coming, how can you get off that so that you don't slip into more fear? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's a conversation I have a lot with my physiotherapy clients prepping for birth. And um, for some, they're like, no, I've heard that before. And for other people, it's a completely new concept. But once you explain it, it actually makes a lot of sense. And so then they work on all all parts of that. So releasing tension, but also working on their fears. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. How can someone identify their fears or stress about birth? Uh, I think the easiest way is to just capture what your mind is saying you know when you're sitting whatever and you can't sleep at night and and it's just oh my god I'm worried about x I'm worried about this to really be aware of what your thoughts are I think that's probably the first thing to say is really just start being very self-aware about how you feel about various aspects of birth and or pregnancy because it's not just birth that scares people it's also the pregnancy and so but also don't just limit yourself to the birth because sometimes some of those fears that are feeding into the birth are the moment soon after birth which is called motherhood <laughs> and so what is it about motherhood raising a baby breastfeeding you know all that lack of sleep all that stuff finances can also feed into the birth because it the birth represents a gateway to this next phase in your life you know as a woman if it's your first time mother she's facing a change of identity loss of freedom loss of independence and and, and thinking about all those kind of things so they can easily get wrapped up into the birth and will kind of disguise themselves as birth fears so so it, it's about really thinking about it in those terms. But it's not always, you know, some women find it so hard to articulate their fear that they can just say, oh, well, I'm just scared of the birth. And they can't even connect more than that. They really are. It's just this dark cloud. That was definitely where I was at. And so when you're in a place like that, then I would suggest you do need some therapeutic intervention to help you to better understand what that is, because that is a sign of somebody that's kind of disconnected from their emotions a bit because their emotions are just too scary. They've been hurt badly in the past. They've had some intense emotional experiences. And so they just don't go there in inverted commas because it going there is too painful. So something as fearful, if it's something that's very fearful for them, then they just don't go there either. And so that that prevents them from really being able to articulate their fears. So it really does depend on how strong somebody's fears are to determine whether or not it's going to be easy for them to articulate their fear. 
that is so many things that I felt about going into second pregnancy and second baby too was thinking about postpartum I love that you brought that up because so many of my fears were about postpartum too which is why the pregnancy and the birth were so scary in themselves yeah yeah the postpartum period is full of full of yeah, full of things that are worry, going to worry us. And, and also, you know, how am I going to handle recovery from the birth, you know, if it doesn't go well? So there's just so much there to kind of feed our fears and keep us awake at night, right? So that's great. So I know I'm sure a lot of our listeners are like, okay, so now I know how to identify my birth kind of fears and stress. So can you share kind of how to clear these fears? And I should mention to you, I use these, your techniques in my first birth. And I've been going through my fears, which are different with my second birth and like going about clearing them. So I'm sure our listeners could benefit as well. So the technique that I recommend is the head trash clearance method, which is shared as part of my book, Fearless Birthing, but also the book, Clear Your Head Trash, for those that aren't pregnant or birthing and might want to use this technique. So it is basically available to use on anything. You know, it doesn't have to be a birth fear. So the process is outlined in the book. So I won't kind of go through that process now. But basically, at a a top level, it's, you know, identify your fear, use the clearance method, which is basically repeating a series of mantras while focusing on the fear and just working through that. And that might take you three minutes it might take you 20 minutes it depends on how intense that fear is for you it depends whether you get distracted while you're doing it it depends whether you do the short and speedy version that you want to do in between contractions which is what I used sometimes but when I was in labor obviously not normally going from day-to-day life um, and so yeah and then you clear your fear and then at the end of, and, but what's important <coughs> is you rate your fear at the beginning and at the end so that you know how strong your fear is at the beginning because I like to measure what I'm doing and I want to know whether it's effective so we start off by going well how strong is this fear for me and you rate out of 10 and then you do that again in the end and then you know if you're the work that you're doing is actually having an effect because I'm not one for encouraging you to do something again and again if it's not working so it's really important that you measure that that experience for yourself and so that that's very simplistically going through clearing your fears and you just basically just treat it like a to-do list and you just clear them one by one until they're gone um and but that but the thing is is your fears will never always be gone because we're living breathing human beings in a world of interactions and experiences And so there are always going to be new fears coming up. And especially when we're pregnant, you can't say, oh, I'm in my second trimester, my my second week or my second whenever and go, I've done them. That's it. Gone. You know, because something else will come up. You'll be at another healthcare appointment. Some some other somebody else will say some kind of comment to you and go, oh, my goodness. And a new fear will pop in. You'll have another test result at a meet at at an antenatal meeting or whatever. And suddenly like, oh, my God, I'm now worried about my blood pressure or I'm worried about this or baby's breach. Like, you know, so there's all these things happening throughout your pregnancy that have got the opportunity to give you more fears. So it is an ongoing process. And as you said, Anita, you know, you cleared some of your fears from the first time, but next time around you had new fears. And that that's what happens. New stuff comes along. We're a new person. We know more. We've got more under our belt. And we just, it's different the second time. So there's always going to be an opportunity to clear fears. And even when you think you're fully done, you know, then you're in labor and then new fears come up. You know, before I was in my first birth, in my pregnancy I cleared my fear of pain but I didn't clear my fear of the pain of the ring of fire because that's quite a specific fear and that came up for me when my baby was crowning so I had to go in then in between contractions to clear that fear so knowing how to use a technique well enough that you can just sink into it quickly if you need to during labor is also really really handy because transition is a time where a lot of women's darkest fears will come up and that's when it can cause real problems in the birth space so I will always recommend that you know you find something that really works for you 
you, you practice using it time and time again during your pregnancy so that if you need it during your labour, you've got a bunch of tools that can help you to get through those moments of fear, of tension, of pain, whatever. Yeah, so cool. I was going to mention that a few of my clients have brought up stories about feeling confident and comfortable going into their second, third labors and births. And then when they're in those experiences, fears popping up that they weren't expecting, maybe they were triggered from an event in their first birth. So I love that you said that there are quick tools that they could use in those moments specifically to try to bring them out of that space. Can you talk to us more about what a conscious birth is and why someone might consider that? So a conscious birth really is about being mindful and deliberate in your actions and choices and decisions and your behavior. So, you know, for me, being conscious, let's forget about being conscious and pregnant, but, you know, just being a conscious person is somebody who's very self-aware, who's very mindful. They are they try not they, I, I'm not going to say they don't get triggered in day to day life because we all get triggered by stuff, but they are aware of what triggers them. They try and do something about it. They may be trying, you know, having a mindful response is where maybe there's a bit of a lag between the trigger and you responding and then you're more able to choose how you respond in a situation. So it's taking that kind of thinking and applying that to your pregnancy. And when we apply that to a pregnancy, it's very much about thinking, okay, who am I as a woman and how much of me and my bad habits, emotional habits, repetitive habit uh, patterns that don't serve me? How much of that do I want to pass on to my child and how much of that do I rather get rid of right now so that I'm giving my child the best start? So, you know, that really means in terms of having a conscious pregnancy, it's thinking very deeply about who you are, what you are, what your legacy is in terms of, you know, the gifts that you're giving to your child, not the gifts that are going to be wrapped up in paper and gold thread, but the gifts that are going to be their competency, skills, attitudes and behaviours and resilience in the world. And that's very much something that you can think about and do something about while you're pregnant. And so then that leads into the birth, you know, this conscious approach, this conscious way of thinking really does kind of lead into the birth. And then the next stage on that is conscious parenting. And there's a brilliant book um, by Dr. Shafali something or other who's amazing. Um, you know, so it's the conscious journey, really. And it's just this mindful, deliberate approach where you're kind of being very reflective and self-aware about who you are, what you're doing and how that affects your behavior and your thoughts. And so we've been talking a lot about fears and regarding in regards to birth. Um, how does stress in pregnancy affect someone's birth experience? And do you have any tips um, for our listeners how to reduce stress? Stress in pregnancy is terrible it's awful there's so much research and evidence that shows how bad stress is maternal stress is for the baby so um you know for me i was highly motivated to, to deal with my stress this was before i was very much aware that fear was so important as well because because of maternal stress and how it impacts the baby so it's known to really affect the baby more likely to have asthma more likely to have allergies more likely to have eczema and I grew up with all of those things so and they're horrid so I wanted to do as much as I could to not to not pass those on to my kids so that's thinking about the baby but when you think about the pregnancy and the birth specifically you know when you're stressful you're very easily triggered you're very easily led into an anxious state and that brings with it a cocktail of hormones and so 
when you're pregnant, uh, when you go into the birth, what you don't want is you do not want adrenaline to be running around your system early part of labor. You only want that to show up right at the very end. So if you're stressed while you're birthing, you're really setting the scene for um, an environment that isn't conducive to labor. And when I say environment, I mean the sort of hormonal environment. You really want a really great mix of hormones when you're birthing that's loads of oxytocin, like loads of oxytocin, which is the one that keeps labor moving. And then you want lots of um, endorphins, which is what's giving you that natural pain relief. And you don't want adrenaline, which is a bit of a bullying hormone. And it kind of, the minute it shows up, it's like a bull in a china shop and everything else gets out the room. So if you're stressed during birth, then oxytocin and um, endorphins are just going to run a mile. And all you're left with is a stress response, which is going to send the whole experience into a downward spiral, painful, long labor. Everything's going to stop. It's just going to it's not going to be good. So you really need to be able to manage your mental and emotional state so that you can keep stress at bay and make sure that you're protecting the oxytocin and endorphin mix and only keeping adrenaline at the door until it's, you're ready to let it in just when you need to push the little one out. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful because I'm sure, I mean, everyone goes through stress with pregnancy, but I think a lot of our listeners are curious, is there something they can do about it um, and potentially how it may affect their birth? So I think that's super helpful. I felt way more stress in my second pregnancy. And as I mentioned, there were tons more fears that came up about it. So it is interesting how, of course, those things are going to go hand in hand, but I just want to talk to maybe listeners that are feeling lots of stress in second pregnancy that there's no need for shame or guilt around that. I think the best thing I did about my fears and my stresses in pregnancy the second time was just letting them come and letting them roll. Talk about them a ton, journaling, writing about them. Um, And there were times that I felt like oh no, are my stresses and anxieties going to affect this baby? I think that that's just another level of stress that we can add on to ourselves. So I think that if we are feeling these stresses, these anxieties, whatever it might be, just that that is a really normal and common experience too. Mm. And we can feel them and not put more guilt on ourselves that we're not pregnanting well enough. Yeah, no, I think that the problem with... The minute you're pregnant, there's just so much guilt that comes in, so much sense of responsibility that no matter what you do, you're affecting your baby in some way. And and I get a lot of emails from women that are really worried that maybe they're having a lot of um, negative emotions and they're worried that that is going to have, an, you know, what effects that having on my baby? And, and, and that's a real stress for them. And I think the important thing to say here is that the range of human emotions, the normal range of human emotions is absolutely fine and adequate and okay for your baby you know if you have a sad moment and a a bad day and a stressed day and a you know all that's the ups and downs of the human experience are good for your baby to experience that because that that's priming them that's teaching them that that's what the human experience is all about the when it becomes start becoming an issue it's when it's chronic so it's if you're living in permanent stress in permanent anxiety so that's when it will start affecting the baby but when you're in that place and and yes that might not be very helpful to know but I wanted to know that so that I could do something about it. Because if you don't know that and you learn about it later, you're like, why didn't anybody tell me I could have done something about this? And so I think it's about being informed and making a choice based on some good information. And if you choose not to act on it, that's absolutely fine. If you're not in a position to act on it, that's fine, too, because guilt you know it's so easy for women to feel guilty and and I I just want to sort of say you know it's okay to not feel guilty you don't have to feel guilty about everything it's not all on you it is not all on you you are simply just 
going through this life doing the best you can. There is no reason to feel guilty about that. But a lot of women just like to take that on board. And, and I think we do that as women, which is, you know, which is a terrible habit. And but we need to sort of stop doing that. And I want to just give everyone permission to stop doing that. It's OK to not it's OK to be a mama and not feel guilty every single moment of every single day. <laughs> yes. Thank you. A common stress in pregnancy, though, is surrounding due dates. Can you share how oh, yeah. you reduce the stress around someone's due date that they might be feeling? I think the first thing to do is to check your due date. Um, the, the common calculation method of due dates is Neagle's rule, which is based on an idea in the Bible, and there's no evidence behind it. So, you know, in this day and age, find a, a due date calculation method that's based on the diet, but not based on the, that's based on evidence and research. The next thing is to don't give away your due date. Um, ditch the idea of an actual date and start thinking about it in terms of a month. Do like the British royals do, and they just give a very vague month sometime in the future. And, and if, if you happen to be due at the end of a month, then give the following month. Uh, you know, really give yourself loads of room. And we're basically saying, if you're going to give a date, make that date about 43 weeks. Don't give it, don't give the 40-week date away to anybody. And if you're deciding that you're going to say the month, Somebody is always going to pin you down and ask you for the day. So have a day in your head that you will give away if pressured, but make sure it's not the day. So that's the first thing is just lie to everybody else so that you're not prepared, like you're not psyching yourself, not psyching yourself up, but you're not um, like, like preparing yourself for a situation approaching your due date where you're going to get relentless texts, messages, Facebook updates, WhatsApp, whatever it is, bombarding you from all angles when at that moment in time you really need to be stress free. So that's the first thing I would think that you need to do. But going back to the due date itself is really to get really clear on what that date is and be confident in the date because when the time comes, probably around about 39 weeks, your healthcare provider is going to start going, oh, maybe we should start talking about inductions. And that can be incredibly stressful for a woman. And there's absolutely no need in many cases for an induction. There's a statistic that was just came out this week here in the UK that there are some trusts in some areas of the UK where the induction of labour rate was as high as 47%, which is absolutely staggering. I mean, the World Health Organization says that the average is 25%. And yet in some developing countries, it's as low as one or 2%. So you really, most women do not need to have their labour induced for any reason. But it's medical reasons that will make will make that call. So low heart, you know, like there's a problem with heart rate, if there's baby lower fetal movements, if there's something medical going on. But in the most part, that isn't going on. It's usually, oh, well, you're an older mum, so we need to induce you. Well, being an older mother is not a medical reason. Um, oh, well, you know, you're past your due date. Again, not a medical reason. So being really clear on your due date when you have to say no, 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 relentlessly, is really helps you to say no and be confident in standing your ground. If you're not confident, because at the end of the day, if somebody's saying, well, your baby's late, we need to induce you. And you're like, well, yeah, but this due date's wrong. So no, I'm not late. And then you're arguing over what's late, what's not late. And so this can be really crucial, not for every woman, because sometimes they give you a date that is that you're both working on a date that's a sensible date. But for my second birth, the date wasn't a sensible date. I had a first due date of the 23rd of September. Then they brought it back to the 20th of September. When I recalculated my due dates, it was October the 9th. And I was being pressured for an induction from the 20th. But my baby came spontaneously on the on October the 5th. And she was fine. She wasn't early. She had a vernix. It was all fine. Now, imagine if I'd allowed that induction at the 20th of September. That was way too early for my baby. And that would have been bad for my baby. So I was pleased that I recalculated my due dates and I had confidence to say no 
And I knew I was doing the right thing and I felt it was the right thing for me and my baby. But, you know, let's get this straight. You know, if you are worried, make sure you get in, get your checks done, get your monitoring done. You know, don't don't put yourself at risk. Make sure you're doing it this safely, that you're taking their advice. But if the advice is we need to induce you because you're overdue, that's that's not a good enough reason. So it's about really getting confident. And once you're confident, that can really help to reduce the stress because you're like, you know what? I've got this sorted. I've done my research. I'm happy with where it's at. And I'm, this is how it's going to be. And it can really help you to reduce the stress at that moment, which is difficult to handle. And the thing is, when you're highly stressed, your hormonal mix will be in the wrong place. And so labor won't start. So you're in this kind of catch 22 situation where the stress is stopping labor starting like, yeah, but I need the baby to arrive because I might get induced. So it, you're kind of stuck in this cycle. So you've got to really try and protect that hormone mix at that point moment because you definitely want labor to start spontaneously of course unless you're going for an elective c-section in which case none of this matters <laughs> and that's challenging for people isn't it when they're being told your due date is this you don't think it's that date you're feeling pressure by your medical provider that's such a tough spot to be in how do yeah. you impart that confidence upon someone to to stand their ground if they feel it's not correct it's I think this is where it's important to really do your homework on your own personal situation. So when I was pregnant as an older mother, I was just devouring research papers and they're not the easiest thing to read. When I was pregnant, evidencebasedbirth.com was not a website. And I wish it was because that's an amazing website, an amazing resource to get some of the evidence that might relate to your personal situation. So, yeah, read around your personal situation so that you understand the risks that are being presented to you. You know, I was being presented with risks. And actually, when I when you sort of got your head, you know, they said, oh, the risk is going to double of stillborn. And you're like, well, it goes from 0.001 to 0.002. So once you kind of see it like that, you're like, OK, well, that's not as scary as it first sounds. So it's about really being clear on what those risks are and how they relate to you as an individual. But also what's the risk of the alternative and comparing that because, Yes, I could have an induction now, but what's the risk of me having an induction? How's that going to affect the birth experience? What if baby isn't ready? What's the long-term health implications of inducing a baby too early? And, and how's that going to affect the whole, you know, the whole birth experience does set the emotional imprint for life. So, um, and if they're not born with their lungs fully developed, which is what happens if you induce them before they're ready, then, you know, that's going to have an impact. So we've got to balance all this up, which is very difficult. But I think the best way for you to do that is to be well informed and to be using evidence based sources to give you the confidence. And, and from there, then it's about the, the harder bit, I think it's about finding your voice and saying no. And a lot of women find that really tough. They find it really tough when they're being confronted by somebody in authority that is almost bullying them, using very scary language, fear based language to persuade them and to make it almost appear like they don't have a choice. And I, so I think it's really important that women understand what their rights are. They understand that they are the only one with the, the, the decision here. It's their body, their baby, their birth. They've got, they, they're the ones that make the call. It's not anybody else's decision. So um, to, to learn that and to know that and to know that they can say no, that's not an easy one to do though, I'm afraid. And so for me, that goes back to clearing your fears and your stresses, because when you clear your fear of authority, your fear of making a mistake, your fear of whatever, then that will help to give you the strength in your conviction and to give you the confidence to stand your ground. Yeah, and I think it also makes a difference to how comfortable you are with your care provider, because I know for me, for baby number one, what I calculated and the ultrasound were exactly the same, so there was no issue. But for this baby, there was actually a five-day difference. And so I had that discussion with my midwife, and we were able to agree on a due date that we were both happy with. Um, 
And I think for some people, you think five days is not a big deal, but Pippa was born at 41 and one. So to me, five days is a big deal. Um, So we ended up with a date, pretty much what I had calculated. I think it was about one day off. Um, But just for people to know, because sometimes I think when you think three days, four days, not a big deal. But as you get closer to 42 weeks, that ends up being a big deal. Massive deal. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. every day counts. So, yeah, um, yeah, you really do need to be quite nitpicky about it. And and to you know, I I spent a lot of time with my healthcare providers trying to negotiate changing a due date. They were having none of it. I was like, I'm bringing you an evidence based approach. Why? Why? I, I couldn't understand why they wanted to stick with the Bible based approach and not the evidence based approach. And so that they wouldn't, they would not budge. So I was faced with arguments the whole way, which was really difficult. But um, I could be difficult too, so that's handy. <laughs> and I also love how you said about the uh, kind of the due month. Because yeah. I think a lot of I've been telling a lot of clients about that, and I used it for baby too as well. Um, I've been saying end of November, early December, and I've had a couple family members be like, "Have they not given you a due date?" Like, and I'm like, <laughs> "No, they have." But I know my husband knows, my midwives know, my doula knows. That's all who needs to know. Um, and so I know for some people it's kind of bugging them, but for baby one, I did mention my due date, but in my head I had 42 weeks in my head. Because my mom went over with both myself and my brother. So I just assumed I was going to go over. And evidence shows most first-time moms do go past 40 weeks, right? Um, But then there were some texts about, well, are they going to induce you and stuff? I'm like, we're all good. So, um, And she came at 41 and 1 and was not induced. And everything went well. So I do love that idea of a due month. And that's what I've used this second time around. And I've had more people around me who are pregnant start to use that and feel less stress with that so I love Mm. that you brought that up yeah just wish the healthcare providers would use it as well (laughs) yes that would be great (laughs) and (laughs) so Alexia what would you say I mean we've talked about so many different things today fear and stress um what would you say are the top three tips for someone um that you would give who is preparing for birth I think to really have a clear plan on birth a then birth B and birth C, <laughs> because birth A is your ideal birth, the birth that you're, the birth of your dreams. Maybe that's that water birth with fairy lights, whatever. Maybe it's a C-section. I don't know. That can be different for every woman. Um, but then also have the the next birth. So if you don't get the one you want, then what's the next likely one and prepare for that. And then what's the worst outcome for you, the possible worst outcome, which for many women might be the emergency C-section. So have a plan for that, too. And make sure that you've got all your bases covered, because a lot of the fears that come up for women are this idea of not being in control and the fear of the unknown. Whereas if you plan for every eventual, every possible outcome, not every possible outcome, but the most likely outcomes, then that gives you a certain sense of sort of confidence and knowing that you've got your bases covered. And so that would be my first thing is make sure you've got a really solid um, understanding of those uh, those options for yourself. And you've thought them through, you've thought through the decisions, the questions that you might be asked so that you've you're not making a decision in labour having had no sleep, maybe from a place of fear, you've done that in the cold light of day with research, with the internet handy, with a cup of tea in your hand, and you've thought it through in a calm place, you know. Um, The next thing is really to really have a bunch of tools and techniques that you are comfortable using, that you know work for you, that you can use to manage your tension, manage your stress, manage your fear, manage your mindset, 
do your breathing, whatever works for you, you know, different women are going to respond to different things. So, you know, yoga moves that really work really well for people if they do a lot of yoga, because that's going to really help them. And they, they draw a lot of strength from that. Some women love chanting mantras, you know, others are really into sort of the breathing, um, other ways of working, breathing or, you know, touch or acupressure. So find what works for you. But you can't do that kind of prep at 39 weeks. You need to be doing that in your pregnancy. So you can practice find things that work for you and know that you can use them without checking the book, without like reading the instructions, because you're not going to be able to do that while you're in, in labor. And the f- third one I'm going to say is just make sure you've done your fear clearance, because that is really going to be the thing. The game changer for me is in terms of that's really going to have an impact on so many aspects of your birth that um, really it's a, it's a bit of a no brainer for me not to go into your birth without having done some fear clearance. So that would be my, those are my three top three tips. Such smart advice. Alexia, you are a wealth of information. Can you share more about where people can find you online, social media, and your fear-free birth resources? So there's the Fear Free Childbirth website at fearfreechildbirth.com. There's also fearless-birthing.com, which is basically the website that goes with the book. Um, And there's lots of things there. Then people can find me on um, Twitter, I don't do much on Twitter, so I'm not going to say Twitter. People can find me on Instagram, Fear Free Childbirth on Instagram, on Facebook. There's a Facebook group for the Fear Free Childbirth group. Um, There's also a Facebook page. I mean, you just put Alexia into Google and you will find me. There's all my head trash stuff as well. So Alexia Head Trash will find you my head trash work. So, um, yeah, just um, anywhere online, I'm pretty much there. And then also definitely say your podcast, because that's how I found you before I was pregnant oh, yeah, with podcast. Pippa. Yeah, <laughs> podcast is amazing because you cover pretty much every topic related to pregnancy and birth. Um, so I highly recommend everyone head over um, and find your podcast as well. Yeah, you can get it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Stitcher on Android. So yeah, the Fear Free Childbirth podcast. Thank you for reminding me, Anita, very kind of you. <laughs> And so thank you so much, Alexia, for being on today. As Jess mentioned, you're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to fear and stress around birth and birth prep. So thank you so much for being on. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. On the next episode of To Birth and Beyond, we have a great chat with Deb Flaschenberg all about prenatal yoga and specifically how it can help support the body during a pregnancy and perhaps leading into labor, birth, and the postpartum period too. And if you are a trainer, a coach, a yoga instructor, Deb has some incredible and specific tips for you in this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 